real presence live. It's this really powerful sense of, okay, you're seen, you're known, you're missed if you're not here. Local. It's that good crop of corn or beans or wheat or whatever it is that you do that, you know, you grow it, you grow it to the Lord, and if it doesn't come about, you just have to be patient and say, well, there's always next year. Engaging. Evangelization is the fruit of the love of God being poured into the hearts of Jesus' friends. Live. This is our charism, to be witnesses of Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. We're broadcasting from St. Andrew's Church in Brainerd, Minnesota. I'm Deacon Dan Goshi, along with Father Daniel Weiske. Hey, Deacon. How are you, Father? Super fantastic. I How like your you? outfit today. Thank you Where'd so you much. Where'd you get that? The long sleeves, they got them from the catalog. Yeah. Black. Mm. That works for you. A little yeah, white, little little white, white accent. Color. That mm-hmm. looks good. Yeah. Well, good. It's nice to be back in, uh, on the air again. Good to be I, with you. I lost mm-hmm. that bet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure they'd pull the plug on us, too. But, oh, yeah. but here we are again in kind of a, a, fun, uh, uh, a fun lineup today. We have uh, um, Jason Atkins, who's going to be uh, uh, talking with us. He's the executive director of Minnesota Catholic Conference. Mm-hmm. We've got, I don't know if, the, if they um, had a, um, a, a lapse of prudence and wisdom, mm. but they have uh, allotted us a half hour just to see what happens and have well, they, nothing scheduled. They called in Mr. Dan Johnson just to fill the gaps. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. shows there's some... There was some prudence some involved. counsel there from the Holy Spirit. That's good. That's yeah. good. That's good. We've got an uh, Honor Our Fathers segment today where we're going to uh, talk about one of the uh, beloved priests uh, of, mm-hmm. of, Real Presence, of the Real Presence family. Uh, Father Tony's going to be here celebrating his uh, 25th... 25th anniversary. anniversary today. That's a big day around here. Yep. And we've got uh, somebody with, you know, how when you buy a new car, it's got that new car smell. We've got somebody with a fresh, brand new deacon smell that's going to be with us, too. Uh, deacon Trevor's been uh, a transitional deacon now for five days, I believe. Yeah. And I was, uh, I remember that. I remember I was there. I was there for that. The ordination. I was there. I was sitting yeah. behind you. Yeah. Oh, were you? No, you were way up front, weren't you? Oh, were you just in the pews with? Were you with yeah. your wife? Yeah, I, I was sitting uh, with my wife. Yeah, right. I don't get that. Tells you how much I paid attention so, to the people. Yeah, well, thanks for noticing. The vested deacons were right in front of. They were. They were. Okay. Well, let Father, if you don't mind, maybe we'll start with a prayer and then we'll uh, visit with Jason. Wonderful. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I thank you, Almighty God, for this day and for the gift of life. We ask that you would help us to live for you, to live in great hope, with the promises that you. Uh, offer to us of eternal salvation for us, but for your whole family. And we ask that you would bless also this show that we might truly learn, um, gain knowledge and wisdom and encouragement about how to live uh, in your kingdom for your kingdom, to build up a civilization of love, to spread your fragrance everywhere. And we trust ourselves in this day to our Mother Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed, blessed art thou amongst women, women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Jason Atkins is uh, with us. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. It's nice to be with you. Nice to be with you. Jason is the Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about drawing the lines when it uh, comes to practicing our faith. So uh, tell me, Jason, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm an attorney by training, so don't hold that against me. (laughs) But uh, my day job is uh, serving uh, the Catholic Bishops of Minnesota as executive director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and we run the lobbying and 
public policy activities for the Church in Minnesota, but we also work uh, to help Catholics live their call and responsibility to be faithful citizens. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, I have friends who are lawyers. I admit there are good lawyers out there, right? <laughs> but just, I know this isn't part of a script, but just the idea of someone who is trained to engage in logical argument, that there's conflict that's set up that's meant to happen, to hash out issues. Mm-hmm. And isn't that an interesting concept? That's a beautiful thing. To actually, you know, logically, reasonably discuss issues to come to resolution. You know, and that people like lawyers are trained to help do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, Jason... In Minnesota Catholic Conference, I understand says so the lobbying arm, public policy arm. You know, can you share more about why why would the church have such an organization? Why is that part of our call? What, what can you tell us about that? Well, the great commandment is to love God and love our neighbor. And Pope Francis says that politics is one of the highest forms of charity because it serves the common good. So just as we, uh, as you said in that prayer, bring the fragrance of the gospel into all areas of life, we do the same thing in the public arena and in politics, and that is a mission field. We need to bring the gospel to the peripheries, and when we do that, we help create structures and laws and systems and institutions that support human dignity and the common good. So the, work, the Church's work in the political arena flows from its uh, great, that great commission to love God and then love our neighbor and then evangelize. And when we speak of those truths and principles that support human dignity and the common good, we ultimately point to the author of those principles, the person of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's loving our neighbor, but it's also helping people to know uh, Jesus Christ and evangelize them and bring them closer to the Creator. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So it is part, it's integral to our life in Christ, right, to build up uh, the, public, the common good. Uh, I noticed uh, the papal documents so often talk about charity presuming justice, that justice, if you're living in charity, it's presuming that you're living in a just relationship with others. Um, just that we have a role in promoting that. Mm-hmm. But Jason, what would you say um, are some of the most important works that uh, you're undertaking right now, or that the Church is undertaking in the, in the public realm right now? Well, we're talking a lot about civil rights and racism and equity and inclusion, and our consistent refrain has been that uh, the ladder out of poverty, the inclusion, greater inclusion in the economic and social life of societies uh, is really fostered through education and getting kids the education they need to, nourish, to flourish. And that's why we talk a lot about school choice and helping kids, especially low-income kids, students of color, escape underperforming public schools and help them enter schools that are consistent with their values and which will help them uh, create that create that ladder out of poverty in many instances for them to flourish and thrive. So we talk a lot about uh, educational choice is a key fundamental issue right now and a, and a big civil rights issue. Uh, immigration reform is always a big one. Uh, how do we have comprehensive immigration reform that keeps families together, uh, that secures the common good, promotes the dignity of the human person? Uh, the life issues are always key and cornerstone, of course, and uh, right now in Minnesota, we're, under, we're in the middle or the beginning stages of a big debate about assisted suicide. So uh, when care is expensive and killing is cheap, you know, what kind of choice is that? So we can anticipate that as the economics of health care continues to change, and we've seen some of those indicators during this pandemic that there are going to be more pressures on people to end their life. So that's a big concern of ours as well. So a lot of different issues on the horizon, but also uh, religious liberty is a perennial issue as well. Right. Yeah, it seems that for any of these issues, for the Church, or members of the Church, really, I mean, institutionally, yes, but all of us as members of the Body of Christ engaging in these issues, we have the call, a demand that we actually engage in 
promoting justice in these areas. Um, how important then is religious liberty for us to be able to do that? You know, what what would you what, how do we understand the importance of religious liberty in that context of fulfilling our call? Well, it's not license to do what we want; it's the freedom to do what we ought, uh-huh. and it's a, it's a freedom to serve. And so, if we want people of faith serving the community. They should be able to do so consistent with their deepest convictions. That's, you know, the founders of this country always understood as religion. Religion is playing an important and vital role in building up the moral and social capital of society. That's why we have the free exercise of religion clause. That's why we have the establishment clause, not because the state is hostile to religion, but it recognized our founders believed that non-interference in religion allowed the gospel and the churches more credibility and it also allowed them freedom to go about their job. Uh, serving the community uh, and worshiping in accordance with the dictates of their conscience. So it's a very foundational principle to American life, and it's certainly one that's important to Catholics uh, right now, especially because of the uh, variety and multitude of the ministries that we have. There's a case going up in front of them, there's a number of advocates uh, asking that the Supreme Court take a case about Catholic adoption services. Can we run a Catholic adoption services consistent with our faith, or do we have to uh, follow the dictates of the state and place children in same-sex households, for example. Mm-hmm. So those are these are big questions, and it really impacts our freedom to serve the community consistent with our conscience and consistent with the truth of the human person. It's not our own idiosyncratic beliefs, but it's our deepest convictions about what serves human flourishing and the common good. Mm-hmm. And there have been some very delicate situations in recent weeks, especially in Minnesota, uh, I remember I was ordained on the feast of St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More, mm-hmm. and these, a bishop and a statesman who were silent in some ways until their hand was forced mm-hmm. to resist the king. And it just that's a meaningful thing to me. Okay, good. But I remember in the last few weeks we had some, uh, shall we say, um, conflicts. Uh, I've read about, about those, yes. Um, yeah. uh, access to mass and so forth. Jason, can you share more about um, what may have been um, behind the bishop's uh, statements and moves uh, in Minnesota uh, regarding public masses on May 20th and, and beyond. Sure, I'd be happy to. You know, oftentimes, you know, we worry that the free exercise of religion is reduced in the public square to the free to freedom of worship. And freedom of religion, of course, is far beyond that, but certainly the freedom to worship is a cornerstone of that fundamental uh, free exercise of religion. When the pandemic hit, uh, the churches, the Catholic churches in Minnesota, the Catholic schools we closed on voluntarily precisely because there was a, uh, a deep concern that we needed to do so to mitigate public spread of COVID, that uh, we wanted to flatten the curve and we wanted to be good public actors that supported uh, the common good. Of course, Mass was continued to be celebrated in our churches, albeit privately, um, though live stream. So we worked in the context of, with public health officials to say, how can we serve the common good. That's why public mass was suspended. We were in regular conversation with public health officials throughout the pandemic, but it, it became clear that as things started to open up, that as more, uh, not less essential services, we'll call them, became available, that stores were opening, you could go to Mills Fleet Farm and there'd be, a parking lot would be full, uh, plans were made to open uh, different sectors of society, casinos were opening up, all kinds of things, yet churches seem to be excluded from those opening plans, and we couldn't quite understand why. And after lots of dialogue uh, with public officials and a, and a plan on May 20th where the governor opened up a number of things uh, but at the same time had no roadmap for churches to open, um, that, that it was time for the church to go ahead and offer public worship. 
and we can we want to work with public health officials when we can. We should work together for the common good. But when churches are being treated in a discriminatory fashion and are not receiving equal treatment in the opening process, then it's incumbent upon the bishops, the shepherds of souls, and, and the arbiters of when the sacraments are offered and when Mass is offered to decide when, in fact, it is good to allow Mass uh, consistent with the common good. And so when the governor didn't present a plan and didn't engage in dialogue with us about the plan that we had proposed for reopening safely, then the bishops decided uh, that it was time that they would open uh, up regardless of uh, any dictates from the state on that issue. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, like you said, there's this, it seemed this clear inequity, there's different types of activities that have, we'll say, similar risks of spread as far as it seemed to most of us. Mm-hmm. But somehow the churches were given less uh, right. leeway right. to open the doors and host host people. Yeah, it's funny around here where Fleet Farm started, uh, and that was the one place people always pointed out. Well, look at the lot there. I mean, yeah. it's like Fourth of July. Right, know? right. Let's just right. have mass there. <laughs> That's what everyone. <laughs> That's what everyone is saying. Everyone's saying. Yeah. Well, shopping malls, shopping malls right. could open at fifty percent capacity, which, is, except for the Apple Store, means they're open almost open for full business, basically. Sure, um, sure. But yet the churches had no roadmap for opening up, yeah. and uh, certainly we understand the economic pressures that push uh, more openings of churches, getting people back to work, getting tax revenue back uh, to support important public programs. We get all that, but the basic principle is equal treatment, and mm-hmm. the churches should be treated equally. And it was ultimately an important point for the bishops to assert that they have jurisdiction over the sacraments, jurisdiction literally meaning to say what the law is. Right. And that's an important principle for us to defend is that when it comes to offering Mass and dispensing the sacraments. It's not the state that gets to say when we do and when we don't. It's ultimately the authority of the Church and the bishops. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like there was a—oh, go ahead, Jason. Oh, no, I, that's, that's, I just wanted to make that point clear. And it seemed like there's this delicate um, kind of judgment of where is the line, when is the line crossed, and that must have been a very difficult— uh, thing to figure out in the gray, you know, the murkiness of the situation of you know the days and weeks as facts keep changing about how the virus spreads and um, <laughs> about you know is the governor are they going to be engaging in dialogue this week or not? Have they respond? Are they just you know a day behind in responding? You know, all kinds of matters of fact are involved. Um, but Must have really had to wrestle with you know when to take that stand. Is that is that kind of where you're going? Well, and the delicacy of it, but how important just reasoned argument is in this mm-hmm. kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It's not just a feeling. It's not just, you know, I feel this way. I just, you know, I'm going to choose to believe that there's, there's some reasoned argument about why these things are the way they are or why to resist when you resist. Um, I understand it's, it was mostly a pastoral um, concern of the bishops. This is their role. Um, people need the sacraments. This is something that we cannot simply withhold, you know, for unjust cause. Mm-hmm. But would it be fair to ask you, Jason, some of maybe even the legal aspects? Because we're in the middle of civil society. You know, everyone makes their arguments. Um, was there any particular, um, say, legal argument that that um, the bishop saw backing them in that case to to act in that moment? Well, the any the inequity of the treatment, right? So, mm-hmm. if you're going to have shot, you know, if you're going to um, emburden the free exercise of religion, then there has to be a compelling governmental interest. Must be tailored with the least restrictive means necessary. So the government would have a hard time defending in court why it's okay for shopping malls to be open at 50% and all sorts of other activities to be allowed, but you couldn't have church in place with, you know, 25, with one third capacity as we were proposing um, and with all sorts of safety protocols in place. So we were willing to take that uh, bet and go to court with it. We had some outstanding lawyers at the Beckett Fund and Sidley Austin 
we're more than willing to uh, go into court <laughs> armed mm-hmm. with those so- sorts of reasons right. and arguments, as you said. But you, you highlight the importance of prudence as the cornerstone of one of the cornerstones of, of politics and the key political virtue is knowing when to act. It's knowing when to do the right thing at the right time. And so, yeah, that's a careful judgment based on a number of factors. Now, the Church here always wanted to work consistently with public health officials. And in fact, when we presented our plan for reopening, uh, our pitch uh, to the administration was that this could be a win for public health by allowing the churches to open and doing so with a plan that we've developed in conjunction with the administration. We could be a model for other communities about how to open up worship again, this vital essential service, and then do so safely. And so that was our big pitch. And I think the governor actually came to that point, although it took uh, uh, a you know, it took the bishops saying, we're going to go out and do this on our own. And then, you know, some Wall Street Journal editorials, right. the president came out and said, we're going to, you know, we need to open the churches. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of things that kind of there were a perfect storm that brought the governor to the table. And in the end, fortunately, we were able to work out something that was uh, agreeable that we think from the standpoint of uh, the offering the mass and at the same time, public health. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Real Presence Live. I am Father Daniel Weiske with Deacon Dan Goshi, hosting from St. Andrew's Church in Brainerd. And today we have with us Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. We're talking about the Church's engagement in public life and uh, about religious freedom as well and our uh, need to defend and live out that freedom for the common good. Uh, You know, one thing, Jason, that I remember, there are people that struggled uh, on both sides of the issue regarding public masses. There were, I think, many who were truly just fortified and uh, relieved when the bishops um, in Minnesota stated what they did, that were beginning public masses regardless on on May 20th when they came up with that statement. There were a few also who, you know, may have been troubled to why, you know, why are they doing this, you know. uh, But even before that, there was... uh, I think the question of the bishops sort of voluntarily suspending public masses, and there were some with questions, concerns about why would we do that. Mm-hmm. You started to talk about that, you know, with the common good. And, um, but for those that struggled with understanding that decision, could could you share more about the reasons for suspending public mass? Um, how how our uh, religious liberty, but this care for the common good, sort of intersected there. Sure. And again, there's a number of interesting considerations in that discussion as well. So the love of neighbor being the supreme commandment, love God and love neighbor, right? So um, that has to be right at the forefront of our minds that if we're going to be doing something and gathering in a way that is going to be harming our neighbor, then that needs to be taken into serious consideration. Um, Mass continued. There's some interesting issues of sacramental and liturgical theology here as well, right? Um, Was the celebration of the Mass suspended completely? No, it wasn't. Um, priests continued to celebrate Mass. Mass was live-streamed. Uh, people were able to make spiritual communion. You know, fascinating questions around spiritual communion that need to be unpacked and discussed as a result of this. Um, would it have been you know, possible to you know, build altars outside like they did in Milan in the 17th century and celebrate Mass? Perhaps that may have been one possibility as well, although public uh, health officials said that even gathering together outside at that time posed a danger. So so you think about it and you say, uh, okay, given the, in light of all these considerations, the fact that Mass continued to be celebrated, uh, where there were creative ways of doing so out in parking lots and other, and other means by which uh, the sacrament, the Mass, could be celebrated, there was still confession in most places. Um, so the liturgical life of the Church continued, and 
unlike the Orthodox or some who believe that Mass isn't Mass unless you've got a congregation. So the liturgy can't be celebrated unless there's a congregation. That's not the Catholic position. You know, the private Mass of the priest is um, still a, a Mass, and, and that is possible in Catholic sacramental and liturgical life, and it's efficacious, and it's missional. And so you think of Catholic sacramental theology, liturgical theology, you look at the different considerations, the public health considerations, and at the time you say, well, this seems like the best judgment. But as we learn more about COVID, the situation, um, we say, okay, well, in light of all the other considerations and emerging knowledge, then is it time to, in light of the fact that shopping malls can be open, is it time that we can bring Mass and celebrate Mass back publicly? And that's the judgment the bishops came to. You know, the governor wanted to highlight science, you know, science, science, science. But um, as one commentator pointed out in a very good magazine, David Cloutier, uh, in Commonweal last week, that science can only tell us so much. It's one factor among many considerations when making moral judgments. And so we need leaders who make moral judgments, yes, in light of data, but also in light of all sorts of different considerations. And so as we learn more, then we have to adjust and make different uh, decisions. And the the uh, the criticism that the Church received from reopening, I think, was completely undermined by the fact that the same public health officials and others who didn't think it was safe to gather for churches, thought it was perfectly okay to gather for protests. You know, someone someone remarked that we should say that the Mass, you know, is the uh, is our demonstration against government officials executing an innocent man, right? So would that have been okay for us to gather at that point? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the, the, the whole science, 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 and public health, we were told, that was completely undermined when... Some people believe that there were considerations more important, that is, protesting and right. and doing these marches, that, that outweighed some of the public health concerns. So uh, it, it shows that at the end of the day, people have to make moral judgments, and science is one factor in that uh, kid decision calculus. Right. Yeah, science, you know, that comes from the word knowledge. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean wisdom, it means knowledge, mm-hmm. and it's one facet of our uh, intellectual, you say, uh, uh, the array of things that we use to consider uh, decisions. But we thankfully still have the freedom to engage in these kinds of discussions and debates and to engage in protest or demonstration when it's appropriate, whether that's the Mass or whether it's in the streets. And I, I saw Archbishop, Archbishop Hebda and many priests were part of mm-hmm. um, um, prayer walks or protests in the Twin Cities also about the death of George Floyd and seeking right. justice. So you know, it's not like the Church is on you know, one political party side of the uh, spectrum, but all these issues are important. Mm -hmm. Um, But could you tell us, Jason, about this Religious Freedom Week that is coming up at the end of June? So uh, every year for the past, I think it's seven years now, the Church's commemorated Religious Freedom Week is a week of prayer and study. It used to be called the Fortnight for Freedom. But reflecting on this great cherished gift that we have, the ability, like you said, to, to worship freely, to engage in discussions, but fundamentally looking at that freedom to serve, uh, not just here at home, but also abroad, and uh, the importance of that in our lives and in our ability to communicate the gospel and respecting that, protecting that, and identifying ways that we can be further advocates for that as part of our advocacy in the public square. And so it's, uh, it starts, you know, typically on the Feast of St. Thomas More and John Fisher on June 22nd, and it all, then it goes through uh, July, June 29th, which is the Feast of St. Peter and Paul. So a great week of martyrs and important figures in our faith uh, to tie into the liturgy and uh, reflect on that important gift of religious freedom, study it further, understand the challenges, pray about it, and then become advocates ourselves. Right, and that really is our first and most fundamental freedom as Americans. I mean, it's certainly a church teaching that we, we have a right um, 
to exercise, exercise our faith, our faith. Uh, and a responsibility, and to do that with responsibility, you know, for the common good. But it's as Americans too, what a, a precious and vital freedom that was inscribed right at the beginning of our our uh, republic. Um, thank you, Jason, for all of your work. Thank you for the uh, discussion today. And would you have any final thoughts to share with us? Well, I think religious freedom, you know, we, you know, people say, well, it's not really a big deal. We can worship as we please. But, you know, just recently here in Minnesota, as we discussed, we faced a, a very uh, important conflict over the free to exercise of religion and the freedom of the church. And so these are real issues. The Supreme Court is hearing a lot of cases on religious liberty, and uh, those will be uh, big topics in the next coming weeks as it starts handing down those decisions. So religious freedom, very important issue, and continue to listen to Real Presence Radio and other great stations and Catholic media for more commentary on those key questions. Right. It really is vital. It's interesting. It's not just in the old Eastern Bloc or other places of the world that we have uh, threats or concerns. It's, it's here, too. So we have to work and pray diligently. And thank you for your work and your prayers, Jason. And God bless you. Thanks so and much. God next, bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Up next, we get to find out who gets donuts this week as we honor one special priest in the Honor Our Father segment. And later, Father Tony Robleski, my neighbor and friend, reflecting on 25 years of priesthood. He'll talk about his anniversary, and oh, he never has any stories. <laughs> um, but his anniversary is today, so we'll hear from him. Yeah. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network.